Well, hello and welcome to <laughs> Arvid and Tyler Catch Up, the podcast that now has a name. Uh, I'm Arvid. I'm Tyler. And I think we're catching up. <laughs> so let's yeah, let's do, do catch up. Yeah, it's it's really nice to to finally have a, a name and all the logistics figured out for the podcast by episode two. I think that is quite spectacular. Mm. You know that we already mm -hmm. are at this point. Um, what do you think? What do you think about the changes that we made since last week with the name and the domain? And we have graphics now, and we are we're rapidly professionalizing. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I, think it's quite I, nice. I was texting you. I was like, you can tell which one of us is like the better or more serious uh, programmer by by who cares more about like the actual <laughs> name. <laughs> I think I was sort of like, yeah, if it has a name or not, it's okay. Like whatever works. And you were like, it has to have a name. And I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, you're right. <laughs> Well, mostly for the domain, right? I just wanted to yeah, be able yeah. to to have a domain no, to be able right. to to publish it, right? Because you can't yeah. publish a thing without a name to mm -hmm. Apple and, and Spotify. I think we, we found something really nice. We didn't really mm -hmm. share this this conversation in public because it happened in, in Twitter DMs, but we mm -hmm. had a, a lot of different alternatives, right, that we mm -hmm. had to choose from for this. Some very focused on the thing that we actually talk about, calm businesses, the calm MBA all the time, that we plan to actually talk about all the time. And some things just focused on us having a good time and then i think yeah. we decided to just have a good time <laughs> because yeah again this is our podcast we could do whatever we want why would we kind of kneecap ourselves and kind of constrain ourselves to a, a particular topic when sure we can talk about whatever we want and we will because there are certainly very interesting things happening in the world <laughs> that definitely need our opinion to be publicly yeah. broadcasted right yeah, I think I think it might be cool to do a little bit behind the scenes here because there was some interesting kind of discussion around like thinking in terms of the optionality of how a project could go in different directions and, mm -hmm. and how that kind of fed into the naming conversation. So it was like, I think there were sort of like three buckets that we thought, hey, this is where this could go. And mm -hmm. if we name it really tied to one of those outcomes, we're kind of setting that in stone. And it was sort of that this could really start to lean its way towards this project that we're collaborating collaborating on the calm mba so it could be like the calm mba podcast or something very similar to that that we had a lot of ideas around that um and that would kind of tether us to starting down this path of of creating more content strictly around this theme then we had something that was a little more around um you know, just a a series of build in public behind the scenes sort of seasons, right? So maybe it might be, you know, um, actually you and somebody else on another project, right? Where you're just following behind the scenes, right? And we were like, okay, well, that could be cool too. And so there were some ideas around that. And then we sort of decided like, eh, it's too early to sort of pigeonhole ourselves. Maybe it'll go either of those directions, maybe it won't, but like, let's just keep it easy and, and hang out basically. And so yeah. we went with the catch up, which, um, which I like that outcome, but I also like that we kind of thought through some of those scenarios as well. So there's yeah. an interesting parallel here with the project itself, with the Calm MBA, right? Yeah. Because I was, I was having a conversation recently with a consulting client of mine, and by recently, I mean, quite literally yesterday mm -hmm. about, um, building info products and naming info products and like fitting them into the whole scheme of the business that you're running. And it's, it's kind of, it's complicated to find a good name that encompasses the scope of the thing that you're building and doesn't go yeah. too far or is not too constrained, right? Like even the name for the podcast is quite similar to the, the Calm MBA. It defines what this thing can be about. 
Mm -hmm. Because if you stray too far from that, then you essentially misname the thing. And that is kind of breaking the promise of what the thing is about. So our conversation about how the podcast was supposed to be named should mirror the conversation that we will still need to have about the the ComMBA's actual future name, right? It might be the ComMBA, but it might also be something else because, and, and this is something that I've been thinking a lot about this week, the format that something is in quite defines what it can be called. Right? You have mm-hmm. you have courses that usually have a quite an actionable title. Then you have mm-hmm. books that have more of a, a thinky title, depending on what the book is like. And then you have podcasts that have this catchy kind of short thing that gets people into the groove of things. All the formats do def- is is defining how a name comes to be. And then you still have to find the name. It's a quite the complicated process. And I think yeah. this is something that we can share on this podcast too about our collaboration efforts and and how we get to these things because these behind the scenes looks are super interesting and it surprised me how long it took for us to find that name that is good enough for now how do you feel about that i like it yeah i i think it's good yeah i think um you have to walk this kind of fine line between sort of branding things and scoping things is super important but Mm -hmm. also there's i would say considerable it's like very important in the short and medium term, but over the long term, you have quite a bit of flexibility. It's very easy to sort of rebrand and repackage and reformat kind of the same sort of content and themes. You either expand on them or you niche down in them and stuff like that. And it's it's kind of easy to do that over the long term. And I think I think folks underestimate how like you see this a lot where folks will take you know courses or books and now they blend them into a community and it's all bundled into one thing or something like that you know it's it's you can start to play with that on the on the back end but you do need to be much more focused in the upfront time to just let people know what they're actually you know getting right yeah but but i like where we landed yeah yeah well, people seem to like what we have, even cool. without a name. People seem yeah. to like it quite a bit. I think we had almost 500 combined viewers and listeners for the first episode of a podcast that we essentially ra- randomly did at a random point with, with no real goals and no real structure. I'm incredibly grateful for that. Like every single person yeah. who listened to this first uh, rambling and quite verbose episode, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just blown away by, by the reception that we had so far. Super encouraging. Episodes. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Is yeah, that where I'm, does that stack? Do you have a sense of is that good or bad or I mean, you know, average above for, average for something that people didn't ask for? This is pretty good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? okay and honestly, I don't know. Like my my first yeah. podcast episodes were listened to by a couple couple people, a couple dozen mm-hmm. people maybe, and that was okay. with already an existing newsletter and all that. Yeah. I, th- okay. I think our combined audiences and the fact that people seem to not hate what we talk about mm. and how we talk about it, mm. you know, gave it a, a little bit of initial credibility. And cool. I think by just being consistent, we can keep those numbers up. Not that the numbers matter because it's really about our conversation, but it's nice to see that this conversation between us is actually helping other people in some way, sure. right? Either entertain them or edutain them or educate mm-hmm. them somewhere in between. I'm yeah. super happy about this. And obviously, this is the, the perfect time to ask for uh, a, a bit of amplification. So if you are listening to this or watching this and you want to help us and show other people that this is kind of cool and interesting, give us a rating or a review review on both maybe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube, wherever you find this, because that would be super helpful. Also in giving us a sense of is that what we're doing good? Is this something that you want to keep watching or keep listening to? And then 
this is encouraging. This will be encouraging for us to, you know, figure out where this is going. So that's the advertising part. Let's actually talk about things that matter. Let's talk about what yeah. happened over the last couple of days, because I feel everything is on fire, more on fire than usual. You know, like the, the world is generally on fire, but the there was something happening in Silicon Valley where all things explode over the last couple of days that I would like to talk about because the mm. money is something that touches everybody's lives. And when there there's a bank run, you know, you get scared, uh, usually as a person that has money in banks. Can you very quickly explain what happened uh, with the Silicon Valley Bank and then maybe talk more about why this matters to us as founders, as bootstrappers, as people who are in the tech world mm. and um, what this means for the future of funding or future just of people not having to be scared that their money is going to evaporate? Sure, yeah. So I'll try to do the brief version of it, which is Silicon Valley Bank is a, like they call it a regional bank, right? It's a sort of mid-sized bank in the U.S. It's not the size of J.P. Morgan Bank of America, but it's bigger than, you know, your your local credit union um, about, I think, going on about $200 billion worth of deposits, right? A bit shy of that. Um, and it's very focused on startups. It's been around for a long time. It's kind of the go-to bank for venture-funded startups, for venture funds, for that kind of community to um, to hold their money in part because they had developed a bunch of good relationships as well as some specific products to help those folks out. So if you were a startup founder that had raised, you know, $100 million and you had nominally like, you know, whatever, $50 million worth of equity in the company, but you're paying yourself $100,000 a year, you know, you wanted to go buy a nice house and get a mortgage. Traditional banks were not really prepared to underwrite against the you know equity value of your Series B financing, um, and Silicon Valley Bank kind of built a specialization there. And so they they had a couple of things like that where they just became the kind of bank of startups um, alongside kind of like First Republic was probably another big one um, that had a real concentration in the market. And then you know like I don't want to go too much into the actual nuts and bolts of how much it works. There's a great explainer from Matt Levine, uh, Money Stuff, um, that just goes through like the mechanics of what happened to them. But long story short, they had a classic bank run. They had like $42 billion worth of their deposits were all pulled out in one day. And if, you know, you can watch the the movie, um, It's a Wonderful Life for like a good example of this, but every bank is exposed to a bank run. If you go and try to pull out all your money all at once, they don't keep all of your money there. It's fractional banking. They take your money and they loan it out and they make money off of that and they keep a portion of the deposits in cash. And if you all show up at the same time saying, hey, where's my money? They don't have it and they go insolvent. And so on Friday, that happened. They became kind of declared insolvent and the FDIC, which is a US kind of regulatory agency that does this and also provides insurance uh, against this sort of thing, basically took over the bank. So Friday morning, the FDIC took over the bank. Nobody could access their uh, deposits at all. The bank is basically frozen. And then the FDIC did what is a process that it does often, which is it takes over the bank on Friday. It figures out what it's going to do with the assets. Is it going to sell the bank? Is it going to sell off the assets? All that sort of stuff. Uh, and then it opens it on Monday, right? And so that process was happening uh, and everybody lost their minds, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's essentially it's what, what happened from there. Um, 
So, you know, the big question in this case is the FDIC insures $250,000 worth of deposits. So if you have less than $250,000 in a checking account with any bank and the bank goes under, the FDIC just makes you whole right away. There's no questions about that. The question was what happens about above that amount, right? And so if you have a million dollars, well, you have 250 that are, is insured and 750 that's technically uninsured. So it was an open question about what's going to happen there, especially because startups are kind of unique, right? If you just raised a Series B, you raised $50 million, you just kind of chuck that in a banking account. Right. And so you have like way more cash, even than very, very large companies normally would, because they're just kind of floating their cash flow if they're mostly profitable. Right. So you had just tons of cash sitting there, a lot of it way over the 250K per account um, insured minimum. So there's this big open question of what's going to happen to all that money. And the main thing that happened is I think people got very confused very fast and thought that everything over $250,000 was gone. And the panic basically set out from there um, and sort of spiraled into, you know, just all sorts of different, uh, uh, you know, catastrophe scenarios of what happens if all startups in America are instantly vaporized and have to lay off everybody. And, you know, our, our technology lead in America is gone forever and China takes over the world. And um, it really started to, to sort of spiral from there. Um, but long story short, essentially the FDIC stepped in and guaranteed uh, all the deposits and everybody, um, everybody has access to all their money, uh, more or less. So it was um, something with a, I would say, a, a very stressful weekend with a, a reasonably sort of happy ending, I would say. Um, One yeah. thing that I, I noticed was there was like two camps of people in, in the way that they communicated this on Twitter in particular, mm. right? That was where all the shouting happened. And there was yeah. a, there were people who were literally freaked out typing in all caps, talking about buying gasoline and guns. I think that, <laughs> yeah. that was one of the, the greatest uh, Jason yeah. tweets that we, that we could find there. And then there were people out there like you, I think, including you, trying to stay calm, trying to mm. promote trusting that there is a process and that there's a system to protect people and that, th that there is, in fact, a situation where I, I don't want to use that too big to fail as a concept, but mm -hmm. there was genuine interest to deal with this without letting it unfold and having these kind of contagion effects too, that people were very scared of, right? If this bank breaks, yeah. what is with the other banks? Are people gonna lose trust in the monetary system within 24 hours? That One of the things that, that, that freaked me out most about this was, first of this division of how people talked about it, the, the crazy mm. here and the stay super calm on the other side and barely anything in between. And the fact that a whole bank can collapse within, I think it wasn't even 24 hours. I think it started yeah. at 9 a.m. that there was this kind of group chat where people started freaking out behind the yeah. scenes a lot of founders in a, in a dm a group dm system and then at 10 people already started pulling money out and at 12 at, at noon there were already problems getting access to the bank because everybody was pulling their money out so within three yeah. hours starting from a group chat people yeah. elevated this into the spiraled it into mm -hmm. essentially the bank run that we then saw uh, over the next day is like, and I was thinking, wow, have we created technology, communication technology and banking technology both at the same time that allow us to kind of flip a bank from just working into now it's kind of dead within like 200 minutes. Yeah, Is, is that what we want? Uh, what is your perspective on the speed of this? 
So, yeah, I think that's a good question. I think like there's definitely some lessons to be learned. I do think, um, I think this was a pretty unique stress test because, you know, Silicon Valley Bank is, I think, very unusual in how concentrated its customer base is. And the concentration is, yes, it's just like startups, but then when you actually cross-reference how many very influential VCs does it take to convince a quarter of their deposits to withdraw within the same hour, it's probably like 10, right? Because you have so many, you know, a lot of these folks who run large funds might be investors or sit on the board of dozens and dozens of these startups. So maybe you have your deposits spread out across a thousand startups, but you might have 10 or 15 general partners at venture firms that are very influential with two thirds of your customers. So if they get on a newsletter or a group chat and they say, it's time to pull, I mean, they can do it like that. Mm -hmm. So you, I think there was a cool stress test, not cool, but like very extreme stress test, right? Mm -hmm. Very concentrated exposure and very quick ability to sort of withdraw tons of money or, or convince people to do so. It does probably say that we need to have, you know, a change in the regulation. I think, you know, I would be sort of very on board with the idea of just saying, look, there needs to be some sort of system that just ensures all deposits. And, you know, that means that, that insurance has to be paid somehow, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but I, yeah, I think it's, it's a good lesson learned. I don't think it's a lesson that every other bank is exposed to this, right? right? Because first of all, they're not that concentrated in both in terms of the businesses and in terms of the influence of a few individuals. And second of all, most people don't have that much uninsured deposits, right? Mm -hmm. If you're the regional bank of Charleston and your bank, your companies are mostly manufacturing and construction and all that sort of stuff, yeah, they like, you know, relative to their size, they're not keeping four years of runway in a checking account that's exposed to this risk, right? So I don't think there's as much of a risk of contagion as everybody thought. Mm -hmm. um, I will say, I don't know if you framed it quite right, at least not from my perspective. I did not see very many people in the stay calm camp <laughs> alongside well, yeah, it, it was pretty much just what happened was it split <laughs> very much into the freak out, everything is on fire, the government must bail us out immediately camp, and yeah. then the like, let the rich techies burn camp. And then they just That's fought true, yeah. all weekend. Yeah. <laughs> and like nobody was over here saying like, what if we just chilled out a little bit, except for, you know, maybe a dozen or so people, but... <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess, and, and that's that's one of the things that, that I always notice when it comes to talking about like Silicon Valley and the, the venture capital world, they're quite loud over there. Yeah. And they have media yeah. amplification. We in our little indie hacker bootstrapping space, first off, barely anybody talks about these things because people are busy building. And on the yeah. other side, there's barely any media that picks these things up and, you know, like throws them out. That's It's just not yeah. interesting for TechCrunch what people without a Series A have to say for some reason, right? right? That yeah. structurally. And, and you're right. One thing that I that that really bothered me about this whole conversation was how incredibly selfish people were in their communication. Like people mm. understand conceptually what a bank run is, right? A bank yeah. run is people yelling so loud that other people start yelling, and then everybody right. yells, right? And everybody right. takes out their money. It's it's yeah. quite obviously a, a social self amplifying system. So mm -hmm. by yelling into the system, you are speeding up the problem or the process yeah. that is behind it. And seeing people pull out their money and then yelling at other people to pull out their money too just felt yeah. like one of the most selfish things. And mm -hmm. that's that's why I'm saying this. Like your camp, kind of the the, the calm founder camp. But this, it's not just like about you know the, the calm business approach. It's just about staying calm in general when yeah. it comes to these kind of things. So that's kind of why I'm trying to frame it that way because people yeah. were very selfishly contributing to a thing that they could prevent by just shutting up. Yeah. Right. 
That was such yeah. a weird thing to see. This was, I think, almost a perfect sort of experiment for, so I'll give you a sense of what was going on behind the scenes for us, because, I mean, we're a fund and we're, we're invested in you know, 70 startups. We had pretty minimal exposure to Silicon Valley Bank, in part because they had this big focus on venture-funded startups. So um, most of the companies we invested in did not bank with them, because they literally would not let you, right? If you hadn't raised a Series A, you couldn't even open a checking account with them. So we were sort of pretty unexposed and, and we don't bank with them at all uh, ourselves at the fund. We did have a handful of portfolio companies that had, um, you know, had bank accounts with them and some of them had more than the 250K in bank account. And, you know, I had a chat with them and I was like, this is a great opportunity to really just focus on what is in your control and what's not. And because actually very little was in your control as an entrepreneur. Right. If you happen to be unfortunate enough that you were supposed to run your payroll on Friday and you couldn't get access to it, like there's nothing you could do. You know, you couldn't you couldn't massively like go like and turn around while everybody else is trying to do the same thing, open a new bank account, somehow get a line of credit funded into that and run payroll on that new bank account all within like one afternoon. It just wasn't gonna happen. So if you you know, if you were supposed to run payroll, you kind of just missed payroll and then it was the weekend. Right. And, you know, if you had bills to pay, you kind of just missed those bills. And then it was the weekend. Right. And so all you could kind of do was sort of look at the reality, start to make some plans, some contingency plans for what would happen on the other side of the weekend. Right. Because like basically there was not too much you could do over the weekend. And then you were going to have a lot more information before 9 a.m. Monday morning because the FDIC process, they kind of are quiet. They don't tell you what you're what they're doing minute by minute, but they take the weekend to figure out what the result is going to be, and then they tell you. So it was like all you really could do, and what I was advising our founders we work with, is like take stock of where you are, communicate to your investors and employees those facts, and then make some contingency plans for a couple of scenarios, and then wait, right? There was no new information to act on or to send new communications to or anything like that. And we, and we just spent the weekend sort of keeping folks calm and letting them keep their energy levels for when you actually were going to need to make some decisions and spring into action, which was next week. Yeah. And what instead you had a lot of people doing was like just encouraging like this full on panic, encouraging this kind of like weird hustle porn over the weekend where everybody was like, I was up all night. I was on the phone for hours all day long. I haven't slept. I haven't eaten or anything. And it's like, what were you doing? There was no new, there was just rampant speculation and no new actionable information throughout the whole weekend. You should have basically just made some plans and then like checked out, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it was yeah. kind of a cool experiment in a lot of ways to practice that. I think by and large, like a lot of people kind of failed the experiment, but it was a good test um, to just sort of remain calm and a lot of stuff we talk about. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It, is, it is interesting to see how incredibly present the topic was over the weekend. Yeah. And how it's almost completely gone from the news feeds right now. Yeah. That is also yep. frightening to me, right? How this is, this could have been, if if not handled correctly, and I guess some businesses probably have some fallout from their mismanagement of a situation they probably even wouldn't have had to manage. But, you know, mm. like uh, in, in not trusting that there will be a tomorrow, they create mm. a tomorrow that is harder to handle. Um, and now it's completely gone. Now everybody is talking about, I guess, chat GPT with yeah. uh, like GPT-4 again, right? Yeah. Because that is now a big deal. It is it is kind of frightening. And I, and I wonder, like, does this even matter to 
us bootstrappers, indie hackers, people who want to build sustainable businesses that don't necessarily need to raise these rounds that you then need to put into banks like this? And do we maybe have to, if we ever raise, kind of try to find more traditional banks to deal with this, to not have this this potential mess up? Or, or is this really just a little blip of just showing what mass panic and how quickly mass panic can shift a business around? Yeah, I just think like, I don't want to, like a lot of people had really tough weekends. So I don't want to sort of sound like I'm dismissive of that. I understand people were a lot of misinformation and panic was going around and it was really stressful. But if you really looked at it in a very clear eyed way, this was not that big of a deal in the sense that you could look at the math within an hour of this and say, look, they have liquid deposits that cover something like 70, 80% of, of their liquid assets that cover 70, 80% of their deposits. So that immediately sets a lower bound on, you haven't lost all your money. At worst, you've maybe lost 10 or 20%, which is bad, right? That's not great, right? But it's not the catastrophe that everyone was dealing with. That's manageable, right? And maybe you're going to be dealing with a day or a few days of not having access to a bank account. You might have to try and get some people to give you a very short-term loan, which is doable. If the FDIC says you've got $5 million, it's coming by Wednesday, and you need that money on Tuesday, or you, or you need $500,000 on Tuesday, you can get people to loan you that. You know, like you just had to work through this sort of stuff. And it was really just, I feel like it was like it should have been a typical day for in entrepreneurship. It was navigating mm -hmm. uncertainty and having to make bets and contingency plans. And instead, it kind of really spiraled out of control. Um, so I don't think that entrepreneurs should really overfocus on this. You should take note of it. A lot of banks, you know, if you look at like Mercury, which is another popular one, just launched this thing that gives you $3 million worth of coverage. Boom, done, right? Maybe you switch to Mercury. Maybe you take stock of what the evaluations of different products are for like 30 minutes and then you move forward. But the reality yeah. is like everybody kind of had their money and everybody was always going to get pretty much all their money, if not all their money, you know, like, I think what you should really view this as is an opportunity to build the mental muscle to stay calm in the middle of chaos and just stay focused on what's in your control. In this case, very little was in your control. And so it was not that bad, really, for a lot of folks, like you just had to make a few plans and then stay calm. And so I think we're going to see more and like, if I've learned anything, it's that we need to help entrepreneurs really build those muscles because we're just going to see more and more and more and more freakouts like this. And you just need to learn to sort of stay calm, stay focused, see what you can actually affect and and kind of tune out the noise and probably just turn off Twitter actually at certain yes. points. But That's generally a good idea in, in moments of like self-sustaining freakouts. Like when yeah. Yeah. when just you looking at the thing makes you feel like you need to contribute to the the mayhem and the the mass panic, you probably should yeah. just go to go to your happy yeah. place, watch a couple of YouTube videos, probably a good idea. But the, I, I love that you talk about like the, the calm business approach being something that more people need to be aware of because I did a little mm -hmm. Twitter poll just a couple of days ago asking mm -hmm. people in that vein, like, do you understand what a what a calm business is? Do you even know what it is? And I was surprised to to learn a day later that almost 50% of the people in my audience, which is, you know, like 100,000 supposed founders, indie hackers, people from the, the self-funded business field were not aware of what a calm business is. 
Mm. And that kind of made me very sad on one hand, obviously, because it would be so nice if people would understand what it is. But it also showed me that we have a great opportunity here. And with the thing mm. that we are working on, that you've been working on for a long time, that I also mm. have been very interested in for a long time, mm -hmm. the, the Calm MBA or anything about teaching people how to be calm, stay calm, um, that, that it blew my mind that 50% needs to be in just even told what a calm business is. Mm. Uh, and it would probably have helped a lot of businesses to understand what calmness is over the last couple of days. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's super interesting. And I mean, I think like in some respects, like, okay, how did, how did running a calm business apply here? Well, it was that, you know, most of the calm businesses don't have to or don't choose to raise, you know, three or two, three, four years of runway. And so they have this huge stash of cash that they're relying on. And they have this very high, you know, kind of payroll that they have to process. And, and that that kind of high degree of being levered to to financing made you very exposed over this weekend. Whereas a lot of the bootstrapper type folks like they were like, yeah, you know, like, we're profitable. So we might have a, like a one day, two day cash flow issue, or we just don't have that much cash in the bank because we're not very dependent on fundraising. And so you were, you know, again, like I said, we did have some companies that were banking with SVB, but they were all kind of like, this should be fine. The 250K that's insured is probably plenty for now, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's good to sort of think about building resiliency into the business and then also like personally building resiliency. I do actually wonder now that I'm saying this, like how much do we go into the kind of like inner game, mental game of calm entrepreneurship versus mm -hmm. structuring a calm business, right? Mm -hmm. Because regardless of what your exposure was, just maintaining that focus is also part of running a calm business, at least over this over the weekend it was. And I'm thinking out loud here, but I'm wondering if like oh, how I, much that needs to be in the scope. <laughs> I very much agree with you. And I one one thing is that I want to avoid is two more white men talking about stoicism on a podcast. I think we have <laughs> way, way more than we need uh, uh, in that regard. But there is a philosophical underpinning sure. to, to calmness, right? And stoicism, yeah. fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, is very close to this. And you, you mm -hmm. just said it earlier, right? T take care of the things you can actually affect and don't get bothered by the things that are out of your control, which is a central tenant of this philosophy. Sure. So yeah. it would be interesting to talk about this at some point in the, the scope of, you know, what are the mental models, philosophical underpinnings of calm entrepreneurship. And I think mm -hmm. I, I also, I looked at the numbers. That's, that was one of the things that um, last uh, first episode of this podcast, at the end of it, I kind of took on me to prepare for this one, for this episode. I looked at the numbers of the 10 or 12 articles that I wrote about you know, all, all things calm business um, over the last year. I looked at the, the reads of the articles, the listens to the podcast episodes and the views of the videos that I made because mm -hmm. these are the three formats that I present this in. And I found that um, among all these 12 things, the highest performer was what are the fundamentals of a calm SaaS business? Like mm. by a long shot, that was the biggest thing. And then it went into things like problem discovery, market analysis, and business models. These were the, mm -hmm. the big things. Fundamentals were the, the top things that people were interested in, which is unsurprising. Most people starting out need the fundamentals first before they can go into deeper topics like pricing or like operations or things like that. But the biggest deal was fundamental fundamentals, mental models, business models, these kind of things. So mm -hmm. when we look at scope, 
for the project that we're working on, these are the things that people just resonate with the most because they probably give them the underpinning to understand, even just understand the other things that are coming along the way. Mm. What do you think, what did you sort of define as the fundamentals when you wrote that? Or what do you define <laughs> it now, either way? Well, uh, yeah, one, uh, generally the fundamentals of a comm SaaS business is that it's meant to be sustainable, you know, that it's mm -hmm. meant to be um, calm, not be calm, but stay calm when, when shit hits the fan. It's kind mm -hmm. of the, the general idea is right to, to put resiliency structurally into a business um, mm -hmm. to not over leverage uh, on money mm -hmm. that is not yours. Um, to stay lean in the sense of that your dependencies that you have to pay for, the dependency that your business is built upon are mm -hmm. minimal but effective. Right? You outsource mm -hmm. the things that are not your core business model, but your core business model is is one specific thing. Specificity maybe as well, like if you build a business that um, shouldn't solve everybody's problem at the same time, but solve one particular problem you know, at a time so you can optimize for that and build a, a structurally lean business around it. I would have to reference the the actual article for the for the specifics there, but that was what people were most interested in, like the the conceptual business uh, underpinnings. We also is talked it about like um sorry to interrupt you, but is it almost like I'm kind of curious what like like synonyms for fundamentals that would help us unpack what people were interested in there. It sounds almost like you were writing about what does it feel like to be in a calm business, mm -hmm. right? Versus like the tactical execution thereof. But like, yeah. what is it? What does it feel, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's kind of the, how do you approach it, right? How yeah, do you okay. mentally approach the choices that you need to make to be able to run a business like this? That was mm. kind of the the idea behind right. these uh, these fundamentals, but I, I can look into it. Like, obviously, we we can do whatever we want, <laughs> and we will. Yeah. Um. To yeah, that that was the the general idea. Just let me look into it for a second here, so I can I can pull it up. I also talked about infrastructure, like the technical infrastructure that was okay. interesting to people as well, but by far not as much as the fundamental part. Even mm -hmm. though it is also fundamental by by uh, definition, right? So um, yeah, I was looking into what is a calm company. Just explaining that mm -hmm. calm companies are running calmly when things go well and they stay calm when things change. That that alone and everything that comes out of this, right? What kind of businesses can be calm? Is this more a SaaS thing or is this kind mm -hmm. of uh, uh, recurring revenue helps. That was one of the arguments that I make. What funding mm -hmm. options exist? That like that's the information that people were interested in. What goals mm -hmm. do you have mm -hmm. with the calm business? Are you going for hyper growth? Is this really calm, or do you do you have a kind of structured, maybe slow but sustainable growth model that doesn't make you uh, require you to get raise more series along the mm -hmm. way? Right, mm -hmm. that you can actually be self-sustaining as a business, and that gives you a certain resiliency. And then, yeah, mm -hmm. I had a couple of. Um, I, I was inspired by by this this conceptual idea by uh, pragmatic programming, the idea of having mm -hmm. certain foundations, certain principles over other principles. So I made a little list. Um, I'm just gonna tell you those uh, because I think yeah. you might be interested. But profitability over funding is one of them. Mm -hmm. right? The idea. Yeah that you focus on profitability before you focus on funding, then customer funded over external capital. It's the same, mm -hmm. right? If there is money, mm -hmm. it should come from the people you serve. Staying mm -hmm. calm over being calm. The idea that, you know, you, you should be adapting to things, not be kind of uh, static because static in the, in the entrepreneurship world is, is certain doom. Mm -hmm. Documentation over constant guessing. 
It's kind of my, mm. my personal approach here because I like a business that is well structured and well documented. Yeah. Makes it more uh -huh. sellable too. And that is always an interesting point, right? In a mm -hmm. in a business. Um yeah. automation over manual work, because that mm -hmm. also gives you resiliency internally, because you don't need to pay as much for, for automation. Mm -hmm. Then continuous improvement over risky experiments, which is mm -hmm. you know, removing risk, removing the the whole need for venture capital to be able to finance these experiments by mm -hmm. just having small um, incremental improvements, iteration mm -hmm. over disruption, that is kind of mm -hmm. the same. Okay. And building yeah. a sellable business over planning to go public. That's the last one. Okay. Yeah. Th that I is like a very that. specific sassy kind of uh, mm -hmm. perspective here. And we can definitely make this more applicable to other things as well. But those those are the kind of things that, that, that I see don't, they don't necessarily structure a comm business, but they they structure the mindset that can create a comm business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it. I well, think hmm. I can see how that would resonate with folks, especially just, I, I wonder if like, hmm. yeah, I wonder if the, uh, the idea of a calm company is almost like a self-evident good in the sense mm -hmm. that like very few people are going to say like, no, I don't want that, <laughs> yep. you know? And so then the question immediately shifts to sort of how and what does that mean? Right. And so yes. that, that, that makes sense that, um, you know, like, like, I guess I think it would perform better than why you should start a calm company, right? Because yeah. <laughs> like everyone's gonna be like, I don't need whatever, you know. Yeah, like, you don't need to be convinced. Like, I about this or I don't, you know. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. between panic and calmness, I think the choice tends to be on the safe side, and I guess that's maybe also why fifty percent of the people um, in my my Twitter poll there, and I just had five hundred votes, so it wasn't too many people that even saw or responded to this. So it may not be mm -hmm. representative of the whole, but. If fifty percent of people don't know what a calm business, and that's in, in air quotes, right, is maybe they they think this means something else. This must mean something very specific, so mm. they don't know what it is. That could yeah. also be um, a reason for this, because everybody knows what a calm business is, <laughs> you know, yeah. without the air quotes. But mm -hmm. the moment you, you term it like this, the moment you give it this very um, specific name, it, it might be even confusing. So we'll have to think about not necessarily the phrase calm business, but if that is the only thing that we say about it, right? Okay, let me ask your your advice on this, actually, because it's something I've I've grappled with for a while, which is I get the question a lot, right? What is a calm company? What is a calm business? Um, and I haven't ever written out a definitive, this is what it is. Um, actually, what you just did right there is, is much better than anything I've done um, in terms of the fundamentals. But I still think like if you were to definitively to try to answer what is a calm business, you would maybe even take a slightly like you be a little more holistic about some of the other attributes as well. Mm -hmm. And I've avoided doing that because in part, I don't know if I want to constrain it. I've sort of felt like that should actually be answered with a long series of stories told from the point of views of different yeah. people who identify as building a calm business. And so it's like, what is a calm business? Well, you know, here's like a hundred examples, you know, pick from what resonates with you sort of thing. Um, what do you think? Do you think like we should really try to tackle and have a definitive answer to calm businesses? Or do you think that like, am I just kind of punting the responsibility there? <laughs> or um, do you think uh, that approach makes a lot of sense? I don't know. What do you think? I think we've come full circle to the thing we talked about in the beginning of this very second episode of our podcast, which is the yeah. name. 
that this has. Yeah. But now we're looking at it from the other side. Now we have a name, mm. and we're not sure if the name actually fits the thing that it's supposed mm. to name. So mm. that's that's why I wrote like a calm business is not a static business, and it's also not a boring business because mm. both calmness can imply these things. So by choosing calm, which is a great name compared to many other potential names that we have for this, we box okay. ourselves ourselves into well this can't be exciting and we want businesses to be exciting right not panically exciting but like growth exciting like we have good yeah. growth this is building wealth it's not hyper growth it's not crazy stuff that makes us you know douse fires all over the place but it can be exciting so when we and i think this is something that we have to continue to explore throughout this podcast obviously but also in in the work that we both do when we talk about calmness is there another word that needs to be there as well? You know, calm and sustainable or calmly sustained, like whatever it is, mm. like, is there something that takes away the kind of almost sedative quality of the word calm and, and turns it into a, an operational, like a, a processual, I don't know if that is even a word, but a process a structural word that describes how it works, not necessarily how it feels, because even in a calm business, you're going to have exciting days, hopefully. Otherwise, sure. you have a boring business. But sure. also describing, like, this is our approach, which is why I think um, I don't want to toot horns here, but I like the sentence. Like, a business is calm when it's running calmly, when things are working well, and it stays calm when things change. To me, that is describing mm. the process. That's not mm -hmm. describing the, the business and how interesting the topic is, but it's it's describing the mode of operation, the operational quality of that business, which is we approach this from a sensible angle. We don't have mm. hyper expectations in anything. We try to be, you know, looking looking into tomorrow and the week after, not like mm -hmm. how how many 10 or 12 or 100x on devaluation is this going to bring to some investor in the future, but how can we acquire the next 10 customers? Like that that mm -hmm. is what calmness is to me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we have to look for another additional term because I like calm and I want to keep it. Or we might want to pivot at some point as well. Who knows? Like uh, mm -hmm. there are other words too. Yeah, uh, I don't have a definitive answer to this, but mm -hmm. I think it's just like the word calm itself. It has to be a consequence of the applied process of figuring things out. I like it. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I think I'm the glad. way I've tackled it in so far is I've sort of started developing like a little like. Um, like almost like not even tweet length sort of aphorisms for some of those. Mm, I don't know if they're misunderstandings or just, you know, flexing the definition in the wrong way. But like one of them, I talk about it, like people say, oh, calm companies, you're just like too chill. You're not really trying to achieve anything. And I talk about being long-term ambitious, mm -hmm. right? And how like, you know, if you have 20, 30 year goals, the most likely thing that's going to prevent you from achieving long-term goals is burning out. Right, and so staying calm is how you stay ambitious over the long term, not the short term. Um, I've got stuff like, um, um, you know, you can be calm and be relentless, mm -hmm. right? Like calm is not, you know, you can be like, uh, like the uh, uh, Mr. Smith in the Matrix, right? You know, he's like very calm, yeah. but just yeah. like going after you like the whole time relentlessly, right? Like that doesn't mean that you're like laid back sitting on a beanbag, right? <laughs> like, um, yeah, so maybe maybe that's the answer is sort of like flipping around some of the misconceptions. Um, but 
yeah, it's uh, it's, it's tough <laughs> because it is it is kind of a loaded term, and it's a term that hasn't been been used in an industry that is very much focused on the exciting stuff. That's probably yeah. the reason why TechCrunch is not excited in or even interested in stories from the bootstrapping space because they are too calm, like in mm-hmm. in the sense of the term, right? They are not hyper exciting. There's not billions of dollars like being moved somewhere and and risk and all of a sudden. Uh, it, it's a do or die situation. It's really not. Like most businesses, they will keep doing what they're doing just a little bit better tomorrow. And that's not worth a headline on a news page. So it's, uh, yeah, it, th- this might be something that we actually can take as our action item for next week is to mm. try and come up with the help of our brains and maybe chat GPT and GPT-4 of, yeah. uh, you know, another term that more adequately describes or at least a, a paragraph that encapsulates the meaning mm-hmm. of calmness as we see it not necessarily as it is expressed you know by others but what is our definition of a calm business i would like to do this because condensing what is now again almost an hour of conversation about calmness into mm-hmm. a paragraph is super hard and that is mm-hmm. something that when done correctly can convey almost an hour of conversation in a very quick amount of time very short amount of time and i would like to to be able to do this not only because we need it as the baseline of everything we do, but also because this is essentially a marketing term that we can then use both in the fund and for the product that we're working on. So mm-hmm. if, if that is all we need to do until next week is to, to just have a, a paragraph that adequately captures what a calm business is, does, and wants, I think that would be an interesting little little project there. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It's a bit of like the um, um, kind of pulls from the sell the superpowers, not the features kind of uh, frame yep. of mind, right? Like I think at least the way I would tackle that, maybe it would be interesting if we just tackle it from just without kind of agreeing on a point of view, right? Just like mm-hmm. answer the question and maybe we'll come yep. at it from two different sort of perspectives. Yes. But I think what I would come at it from is just like, what does it sort of feel like, right? What is it? what what's fantastic about being in a calm business um yeah and, and I using think, that I think that's important right because you're I, trying yeah. to achieve this like feeling um which which is super important for whatever product comes out of this too and that's right. that's something that maybe we don't need to talk about it today because we're still in this kind of scoping three questions phase right what's the mm-hmm. format the scope and and the, the market for this but um we talked about this in the past before we started even with the podcast um about having other people share their stories share their insights into their own journeys other successful founders who run calm businesses as part of the course or the book or whatever it's going to be right as as part of the the calm mba and i think this is something that we might also want to think about like well who is this for us who mm-hmm. represents a calm business who runs a business like this and mm-hmm. can we already reach out to them and see if they're even interested in something like this because now we have this very podcast to show them where is this going right because there's also an interesting use of this medium is to communicate very clearly what we want and how we approach it so mm-hmm. now in, in the most meta of things like how can we use this episode of the podcast to convince or interest somebody who runs a calm business to talk about their calm business as part of the outcome of this podcast. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I, w- I would love for a bunch of people to tell us what it means to run a calm business if they feel that they, yeah. they do run one. You know, like It's very cool to see how folks self-identify um, yeah. with the term as well. 
yeah what the commonalities are in that and also like where they where they are different because obviously not all business and no no businesses are alike but if they are calm what can we extract from this like what are, is, a, is a mindset thing or is it a process thing that would mm -hmm. be very interesting so these conversations will be, will be something that we need to have maybe with people on the show how about yeah. that yeah uh, isn't I that like, crazy i, I would like, like that too yeah. <laughs> that'd be really cool well that sounds like a couple of things that we need to think about until next week. Wow, I'm I'm really happy. Let's let's maybe get to to the the one thing that we wanted to to end this episode with that you suggested mm. earlier. Do you want to? Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to just um. So I was listening to uh, Paul Millard's uh, Pathless Path podcast and uh, and he was chatting with Visakhan Virasamy and. Um, I just wanted to just wholesale steal a great idea from them. <laughs> they were talking about the value of, um, you know, using, using your platform to sort of pay it forward to other folks, um, and just shout out people who are doing really interesting things that, that maybe deserve, um, a little more, uh, credit amplification boost, or just, you know, you think are cool and, and folks should check out. Um, so I, I think it would be really cool to add that as a, as a recurring part of, um, of what we do here. Um, so first I wanted to just shout out them, <laughs> Paul and, and Visa for a great idea and also a fantastic conversation. I, I really enjoyed that podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I had one more, which is, um, an awesome entrepreneur that I met this weekend. I went to South by Southwest for a, a really quick trip and, uh, had a great chat with, um, Dolma. Uh, she's I am Dolma, D-U-L-M-A, um, on Twitter and TikTok. Um, really cool entrepreneur does these fantastic sort of, um, CPG D to C kind of e-commerce brand focused breakdowns on TikTok where she has pretty huge following, I think like 100,000 followers or something like that, but has shockingly few followers on Twitter. Um, so I would definitely uh, check her out on Twitter. I think it's I am like I-A-M-D-U-L-M-A on both platforms. Um, shout out Dolma. It's nice to meet you yeah. at, at Austin. Let's fix that follower discrepancy right yeah. here. Let's follow <laughs> yeah. Dolma. Yeah, that, that is great. And and what a wonderful way to, to end a show that has and has been and will always be about the community that we both serve, right? Like sure. we want founders to succeed, bootstrappers to bootstrap calm businesses. So cool. I love this. Love shouting out people. I, I do this as much as I can myself. So let's keep this going every single week. There sure. will be enough entrepreneurs that need a shout out. So I'm looking forward to doing this for many years to come. <laughs> um, cool. Well, that was episode number two. Thank you so much for catching up today. Yeah, this was awesome. <laughs> <laughs>